Um, we're in a new series together called Four Things I Wish You Knew About God. And, and so this morning, as we dive into part two, so if, if you're wondering how long it's going to last, it's going to be four weeks, right? So part two tells you how far into it we are together. But this morning, I want this, uh, this topic that we're going to go through together to be simplistic, uh, to be encouraging, and, and to be relaxing. Um, I, I don't know if maybe you're in the same boat as me, but when I get to the summertime, there's something about when I look at the summer, I think, oh yeah, time to refresh and relax. And then, and then I see on like Facebook, parents start posting, when does school start? <laughs> I get this. And, and sometimes we find out that summer's just not as relaxing as, as, as sometimes we had planned it to be. In fact, uh, if anything is more stressful than just staying at home, that's, that's for sure vacations. Um, they, they tend to be a good experience, but um, can also bring a lot of stress. And when stress comes in our life, so, so does the complexity of our walk with God and what it means to gather as, as a church family. And so knowing how summers go for us, simplistic, encouraging, relaxed this morning is what we're after in Christ as we walk out. So if, if we hit that, let's, let's be excited together in the Lord, knowing that we've been refreshed. Um, when we talk about the series together, last week we talked about God's desire to want to hear from you in prayer. And today's message is something, again, that you're, you're going to know, just like prayer. We know that prayer is important, but it's not necessarily something that we always engage in. But today's message is going to be similar. This is going to be something that we know intellectually, but oftentimes we, we struggle with in our hearts. And this is one of the reasons I think this is important for us as a church family. What God has done in our church um, over the years that we've existed, it's not, not just a handful of years we've been around for, I think we, this summer starts our seventh year as a church. We started in a living room and we've moved uh, like six or seven times, and we finally got this facility to, to grow in. But God, it, what he's going to do in our congregation, um, it's, it's been done, but it's going to continue to happen. And um, God's going to keep doing a work in us as a family. And in fact, uh, within a few weeks, we should start construction on the outside of our building. So if you're wondering how that has been going, it's still going. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's still going. So we should be starting construction on the outside of our facility here soon. And here's what's going to happen when we start construction. Um, a lot of people still don't even know that a church here exists. And um, when you look on the outside of it, you're probably driving by and not going to assume that it's a church building, right? And, and so you have to really be looking for a church online, sometimes to find out or be invited by a friend. But when this facility starts to take the shape of a church, more people are going to be attracted to our, our location and start coming to check out what's going on here. You guys, I thought were scary on the outside, but now your building's starting to look nicer on the outside. Maybe you're not so scary, that kind of thing happening. But I, I love the fact that, that we bought we bought a bar, right, and turned it into a church because that's just a, a beautiful picture of, of how our church started and what happens in the life of a believer. Um, the, the beauty of coming to know Jesus is that we all, we all start um, in the same place. We all, we all need to recognize we need rescued, right? Um, if, if you haven't caught that yet, Jesus is called Savior for a reason. And because of who he is, it gives us a place to be honest with where we are. And um, if, if anything doesn't paint a beautiful picture of redemption, like a bar turned into a church, I don't know what does, right? Um, but if, if you'd ever walked in this place before it started and looked around at it, you would think, what in the world are we getting into? And why in the world would we buy this? You, you would want to level it. In fact, when we were here working one day, a homeless guy came off the street and asked for money and didn't have any, and he left mad, and that was the advice he told me. When he walked back out, I don't know why you bought this. You should just burn it down and level it. But, but it's a beautiful picture of, of what God does. Um, the outside still looks like a, a hot mess, um, but the inside's been transformed. And that's what Jesus does in us. 
Uh, We come to him because we need rescued. We don't come to him in our perfections. We come to him in our imperfections. We don't come to him presenting the best of us. We come presenting the worst of us. And God embraces us. And he transforms us from the inside out. And as that transformation continues to happen, people are attracted to that. And that's why I say the best days for our church family are still ahead of us. And that message rests completely on Jesus, not on us. And when we live in that message, it's a comforting place to be for the body of Christ. It's a secure place to be. And so this is where I'm leading to. Out of the four things God wants you to know, the one that I want to talk about this morning is I wish we knew how easy it is for God to lead us. I wish in our hearts, in the midst of summer, in the midst of trials, in the midst of uh, obstacles, in the difficulties of life, in the to-do list that continue to grow, uh, I wish we could recognize how easy it is for God to lead us. Now, as soon as I say a sentence like that, I know sometimes when you're in the midst of, of, of a season of challenges and adversity, you, you might begin by, by just throwing out oppositions. Well, it, it, it doesn't feel easy. Or, or if it's supposed to feel easy, why, do, why then do I feel like I'm failing at that? Or, or if it's so easy, why aren't more people doing it? Listen, I'm going to be honest and say, I'm not saying there aren't obstacles. But when God talks about allowing him to lead our lives and you turn to scripture, it, it sounds simple. And in fact, I believe it is, and I think God communicates it that way. One of the popular verses I, I think about when, when I consider the simplicity of God leading, and I, I know that all of us are aware of this verse, but in Psalm 23, just listen to the simplicity of, of the way God leads here. And, and maybe you can measure in your own life, do you feel like that right now? Because the way this psalm feels after you, after you read through it and the way God leads us in our lives, sometimes we have to be honest and say, man, I'm not there right now. But listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm shepherd. My shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake, even though, and look at this, here's the challenges, even though I walk through the, the darkness valleys, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. As David writes this psalm, one of the beautiful pictures he creates, I underline it in this, in this passage, is that God, God is leading him. And even in adversity, he finds himself refreshed in his soul beside the green pastures and, and, and the quiet waters. And if you read throughout the Psalms, you find that when, when David expresses himself to God, this, this feeling of a, of a soul that's coming to a place where it, it finds uh, relaxation, it finds comfort, it finds joy, it finds peace. Listen to this in Psalm 139 and verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this morning as we consider God leading us and how easy it is together, I'm not going to turn to just one section of scripture. I'm just going to discuss this topically throughout the Bible because I believe this, this theme is throughout scripture. But I'm just going to describe for us and turning to different passages of the Bible, three ways we find it easy for God to lead us. And the first one's a doozy. Ready for this? It's easy for God to lead us when we are committed to him. 
Yes, I just said the C word. Commitment. If we're honest in in our lives and our experiences when it comes to the thought of of commitment, some of us even beginning to express that word in any sort of relationship in in this world start to throw up reservations. Let's build some walls. I'm challenged by that C word. I, I don't want to commit. Commitment is your battlefield. Sometimes we, we find it as a battlefield because at some point in our life we've trusted in people and that trust has disappointed you. And maybe along the way in your commitment and trust in things and persons and, and seeing that commitment fail, the only thing that you learned in your life is that the one thing that you can depend on if you have to depend on anything is simply yourself. I think for us, It's unfair to put God in the categories that we put other things that we've determined as untrustworthy. And the simple reason is because he's God. In fact, when you read 1 Corinthians 1.9, there's more to this this verse than what I've put up here on the screen, but it simply says this for us. God is faithful. Now, why would, why would Paul start this verse expressing that to us? In the very beginning of, of 1 Corinthians, why would he just make this outstanding statement as he dives into the rest of this book that God is, is faithful? And I think the reason he wants us to recognize it is because everything else in life we've learned will disappoint. And this thought and this character quality and this attribute of God this makes them unique. And this sets them apart. The reason this commitment to the Lord is different than commitment to anything else is because of what Paul starts off with in this passage. God is faithful. If you were to examine this, this character of God, these attributes of God just a little further, just to see how faithful this God is, there are these, these series of, of characteristics in, in Scripture that we call the omnis of God. That means all. The word omni is all. And so we, can't, we call it omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Omnipresent is, is everywhere present or all present. Omniscience is the word for science, the knowledge. And so he's all-knowing. Uh, omnipotent, the potent, the power. He is, he is all-powerful. When you look at it throughout the, the Bible, it's described for us in Jeremiah 23 and verse 23. It says, Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. His presence is everywhere. In, in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says this, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is omnipotent. The, the world is in his hands. And his omniscience, in 1 John three twenty, it tells us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. The Bible gives us the characteristics of God for several reasons. But this morning we examine it this way. The Bible wants to to say to you, finally, you finally have something to trust in because this is trustworthy. There's someone who cares, someone who does not disappoint, someone who loves you. How do we know that? 
I mean, you read the characteristics of, of God in a book, but how, how do you know this is true and personal for your life? And the answer is the cross. There is no reason on earth God would give his life for you unless he cared about you. There is no reason to really care about the attributes of God as it relates to you unless you've seen a God who cares about you and the cross of Christ is it. What other reason would he come to earth and die than for you? This does not disappoint. When it comes to commitment, there's far more he has given by offering himself to us than he's asked us to give by committing ourselves back to him. Commitment comes at a cost, but Jesus, he's the one that paid it. And so to compare God to these similarities of other things that we've committed to in our, in our lives, it shouldn't be done as it relates to God because God is different than all else. God does not disappoint, which is why in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen it says this, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. It's easy for God to lead us when we're committed to him. And second is this, it's easy for God to lead us when we're able to face opposition and obstacles with him. Or may I just add or ad-lib to that, it's easy for God to lead us when we can overcome obstacles and oppositions in him. And this is the part where objectively we say, yeah, okay, yeah, right, easier, easier said than done. Sometimes we don't want to be led by God because when we look at the road that God may lead us down, it it looks difficult. Maybe we could say, yeah, it's easy to be led by Jesus in my personal life, but but sin and people just add complexity to that relationship. And what do we do when others make it look like a challenge for us to be led by Christ? Paul, in the book of Corinthians, just continuing that that theme, describes it for us in a a couple of places. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians starts off in a a very uh, beautiful way, I think, in the Bible. It says this in in verses 1 and 2. He says, um, well, I'm going to give you the summation. God, God doesn't do things in secret. And his truth is plain to us. I mean, if you've got to be hiding something to think you found God, um, you, it's not God. <laughs> because God wants his truth declared to us that we can know him. And it's plain. But Paul goes on in, in verse 8 and he says this, describing the life of a believer, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Like I, I know Paul gives a negative and he ends it with a positive. That's good, right? You always want to sandwich your, your negative between a positive and end with a positive. So, so that's good that Paul at least ends it with a positive. But, but even looking at it as positive, I'm thinking, man, we're pressed, we're crushed, we're perplexed were persecuted. Jeez, how do you put up with that? And then Paul ends, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, with this thought. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory in the far, that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Look, Paul says we're wasting away, so let me, let me, <clears throat> let me clarify that for us. Um, when, you, when you were born... You were dead and you started dying. <laughs> we're, on, we're on a prolonged journey of, of death, right? Inevitably, the result of our life is, is death. And outwardly, it will, we will come to the conclusion of our life one day. But God has created you for more than that. And God connects to you in such a way that it outlives the death that will plague us all. And what Paul is saying through the complexity of life, he recognizes that, yeah, we're persecuted, yeah, we're perplexed, yeah, we struggle, and, and everyone does. That's the curse of sin. But here's the first thought of overcoming. You get to live beyond that. You get to live for more than that. In comparison to what this life is, it isn't even a blip on the radar for what eternity holds. Sometimes we get so tense in our lives and get so focused on the tension of things that life creates that we focus on that as if it's the major issue of what life is about. Paul's mind transcends the problem. You know, one of the things I love about Psalm 23, which we opened up with when I read it, just in a personal time in my life if I'm ever struggling, is that when I open those pages and I begin to discover what the psalmist says about life related to God, it gives me an aha moment where I realize, man, I have been walking around tense. (laughs) Like if this doesn't go the way that I want it to, like it's really going to matter in the scope of eternity. Like this is going to transform my life forever. And all it is is just a minor issue in life in comparison to what's going to come. I don't want to downplay our problems, and I don't want to talk about our issues as, as if they're not real struggles. But what I, want to, what I do want us to say is there comes a time in life in the midst of those struggles where you've got to look up. You've got to focus on it from a godly perspective and recognize that your king, who is omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, he's with you. And he cares about you. And the plan that he has for you is far greater than the issue that you're in. And he's demonstrated it with his life. Paul goes on further in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 and verse 9. He talks about adversity from from another angle. And and when we talk about adversity this morning, this is the last thing that I know that we need to hear if we feel like life is a challenge right now and and, and we can't keep our head above water. The last thing you need to hear from me is try harder. Because some of us in that circumstance might feel like we have been trying and trying and trying. But when Paul approaches a similar situation, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, he, he gives us a, a, a different thought other than try harder. It's as if, if we were to be involved with Paul in this discussion and we were to say to Paul, we come to Paul and we start talking about the, the issues that we're facing. We say, Paul, man, I, this is going on and this is hard and, and, and I feel like this is a struggle and I've brought it before God repeatedly. What would you do? In the, in the beginning of, uh, of chapter 12, if you look in verses 7 and 8, Paul begins to describe, you know, uh, similar shoes for me. 
I had a thorn in the flesh. And I struggled with this thorn and, and multiple times, three times, I, I took it before the Lord and I asked God to remove it. And I, and I told him, God, please take it away. And God, how can I handle this obstacle? And how, how can you lead me through this? And this is what Paul says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's what Paul says. The answer isn't give more. The answer is to give up and give over. Now, Paul was attempting this in his strength to bring it before the Lord. Whatever this thorn he faced, we, we don't know. But what Paul finally learned is that the obstacles he faced in his life, because his dependency is now on this omniscient, omnipotent God, that the strength to get through the obstacles are on this God who brought him to this challenge that he faced in his life. If I were to just put it in a summation for us, I would say it like this. The Christian life doesn't start when you wake up and decide to try harder. The Christian life takes off when you give up and give over. God doesn't force you. You will not be led until you give over to God to lead. But when you give up and give over, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to take over. The reason we give up and give over as Christians is because what God has called us to do cannot be done by our power, but by His Spirit. For the Spirit to work within us, what He needs is a willing vessel. When we give up and give over, we give God permission to allow His Spirit to take over. As people, we are so good at at standing in the way of what God wants to do, we don't even know we're in the way sometimes. And so what Paul is teaching us in a passage like this is to start your day every day as a believer in Christ and allow God to take off by giving your life over to him. That's where the Christian life is simplistic. And, And to be honest, this is why it's important for us as a church when we think about our future. When our outside of our building starts looking less like prison and more like something else. And people become attracted to that. They're going to want to know Jesus. If you hear a message about the beauty of who Christ is, they're coming to know Jesus. I've heard it said that there are five gospels in, in life and four of them people won't read. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the fifth, the fifth is you. And people see Jesus in you every day, or not. And the way that happens isn't by trying harder. It's just giving up and giving over. Because the king has already paid it all for you. When we gather on Sunday mornings, our our goal is simple and I want to keep it like that forever. (laughs) It's just to draw near to Jesus. We're here this morning 
to give ourselves over to Jesus. When we do ministry in church, we have, we have one main criteria that we want people that do ministry within our church to recognize that the goal of every ministry that we have here at a church isn't to accomplish a task. Like I know we got kids' church and nursery and toddlers and all that, and there's going to be people when they're serving. Don't worry, they're going to take care of the things back there. And we got hospitality, and we got sound booths, and, and we got ushers, and what, you know, we got different places to serve. If we got a worship band, I don't know what I forget, so don't be offended by that. But but the goal isn't to do that job, but the goal is to use that position to reach hearts, because we understand what the purpose of the church is to connect to God's heart. When we walk out of our building this morning, this is what's beautiful to God. When the people of God turn themselves over to God, that God may lead them. It's not your power. It's his. Do you know what that should do for those of us who stress out? And I'm, I'm going to tell you this morning, the last two or three weeks of my life, I've been like, seriously, can this, can this stop just for a minute? Man, how good it is to recognize that I can, I can just stop. I can rest in him. Look, it's not on my back. It's on his. His grace is sufficient for me. I'm going to read this last point that Paul makes. It's not on the screen, but let me just share this with you. One of the challenges I faced this past few weeks was really ripping at me. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. Now it is required. Now that's requirement. No, let's not talk about requirements, right? Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. This is 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You've been given a trust and it's required that you must prove faithful. Can I just tell you what faithful is? It's not try harder. (laughs) It's stick to Jesus. Regardless of what happens... If the world goes to hell in a handbasket, you are responsible for you. Stick to Jesus. If you stick to Jesus, you win. I had um, this challenge come up this week and, and someone just trying to force me into their mold to be what it was they wanted me to be. And it wasn't here at church, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Who's he gossiping about? <laughs> But someone's just pressing me, and, and, uh, and it didn't fit right, and, and it didn't feel pleasing to God. And finally, I just said, you know what? I don't, I don't care. I don't care what that group thinks. I don't care what you think. I don't care about any of that. Here's what I care about. Is when my life is over, I'm going to be accountable to Jesus. And I want to live my life in light of Jesus. So regardless if this puts me in your group or out of your group, I don't care. I just want to live for Jesus. And when you live your life that way with all the things that you think are important, it really shoves the junk aside. What's got me stressed out? 
And Jesus, what do you really think about this? I mean, if I did this tomorrow or didn't, do you even really care? Have I overcommitted myself? Do I need to step back out of this and just say, hey, um, this, this, I'm going to finish this up because I committed to do it, but, but from here on out, hey, I'm, I am out. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's, it's not going to matter how much you live to please people. In fact, that shouldn't matter at all. What Paul says for him in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is, is that it was Jesus. And here's why it's important for us to learn to be led by God in the midst of obstacles. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says this, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <laughs> Look, I don't know about you, but I think the Greek word for everyone means Everyone. Everyone that wants to live a godly life, if you're following Jesus, there is something that you're going to have to give up. There is a time in your life we're going to have to look at the rest of the world and say, on you, uh, Jesus is what matters, you know. But at the same time, I should be careful and say what God calls us to for sure is, is to love people as we're being led by Jesus. So don't go out and be mean just because you think I said be mean. That's not what I'm saying at all. But just make sure that what you're doing is to honor your king first. And, and number three, it's easy for us to be, for God to lead us when we connect with him. First, we commit to him. We learn to walk with him through obstacles. In addition to that, we connect with him. And, and God works through the willings. The things you are committed to as, as people, you tend to have a passion for this and, and you love it. And when you're committed to God and you give yourself to him, you're going to do what it takes to get with him and connect with him and grow with him. And here's the place you connect with God. It's in his word. Like if you want to hear from God, God's already spoken. And because his truth is timeless, he could actually write it down and all of us could look at it together, which is what we're doing on Sunday. But you can do it personally with God as well. You, you can connect with him. Being faithful in the, in the simple things. It's important to learn in the, the health of a Christian life. <clears throat> Growing up in, in um, an American society, we're, we're taught real well how to be John Wayne. Right? We all want to be John Wayne and save the day. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a John Wayne movie in my life. But we all want to be John Wayne and save the day. We all, we all want to be the, the hero in the moment when it calls for it. We all want the glory. But not the guts, right? We all want the gain without the pain. We all want to be, I don't know, Tom Brady. <laughs> Win the Super Bowl, the glory, the hero, the home run hitter. But the truth is, those heroes, heroes aren't born. Heroes are made. To win that Super Bowl or to hit that home run or to be the guy that stands up in the last moment for the victory, those, those individuals, they started when they were young. I think it's the same thing when it comes to the Lord. Yeah, there may be a time where you just happen to be in the right place at the right time and you stand up and, and, and you honor Jesus, and that's good. But the truth is, when you go back over Christian history and you look at people who made an impact for Christ, do you know who it was? 
was the people who learned the consistency of meeting with Jesus every day of their lives. Corey Ten Boom, who stood for Christ in the midst of the time when Nazi Germany had taken over and put her in concentration camps, that, that lady walked through Jesus throughout. At the end of her life, she goes to the Nazis and she, and she ministers to them to help them overcome the war uh, of just the trauma they experienced for, for being uh, uh, mean and angry and whatever despicable word you want to put it on towards the Jews. She helped them in their recovery. She walked with Jesus. Uh, Hudson Taylor, um, William Tyndale, I don't, I don't know who you would want to just pick anybody in history. I, I can promise you if they're making a stand for Jesus, it wasn't something they just woke up and just went out and, and were just this incredible person for Jesus. What they did is they learned to walk with Jesus. And you, you think on, on Sunday morning, our, our musicians that get up here and, and play for you know, 25 minutes of worship music for us to engage in. You think about the way they hone that craft for us to be able to do that. Well, they started playing these instruments a long time ago. <laughs> they didn't learn it today. And, and in fact, just to play on, on Sunday morning, they, they practice personally. And then they come here on Wednesday and they practice for a couple hours. And they come here on Sunday morning and they practice for a couple more hours. And then they stand up here and they play for 25 minutes. You know, one of the, the beautiful things about a musician is as they start to, to play music is after you play for a little while, especially if you play guitar, when you start to strum the guitar, you begin to recognize when your guitar is off just a little. You've trained your ear to hear the tune. As a band begins to play together, they can hear if they're off a little. And they can maneuver with instrumentation to make the sound resonate better. If you just started playing music today, you could pick up a guitar and you wouldn't even know Jack from Squat is whether or not it was in tune. You just try to strum and it hurts your fingers. That's all you know. But the longer you play, the more your ear tunes to the beauty of the music. The more you can recognize if a chord's off. Let's say that for us as we connect with Jesus. God's given you his word so you can tune your ear to the beauty of who he is. That way as you walk in this world with him as he's leading you, you can recognize as you're taking those steps, wait a minute, I just took this step and it, it just sounds a little off. It gives our heart a place to draw back to him. And in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, it says this in the Bible. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And this passage of scripture is dealing with stewardship. One of the things that God has given us as people to be stewards over is his word. The psalmist says this, my, your word, O God, have a hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word, O oh God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Like you want God to lead. You've got to be able to recognize the pitch of who he is. Sunday morning is great and it's encouraging. But so is Monday. And so is every day thereafter that God has given you the opportunity. And this is what God's saying to us. If you want to hit a home run for his kingdom... Just start meeting with the king. Just take some time. 
in the morning, late at night, whatever it has to be to quiet your soul and start to learn the tune of who he is or continue, maybe it's a continuation of learning the tune he is. So here's the good news of God leading you. Being committed to such a loving God took more of a sacrifice on his part than ours. And we should find it easy to to be committed to him because you have found someone who is genuinely looking out for you. He cares for you and he's demonstrated it by sacrificing his life for you. He is faithful. He will not disappoint. And finally, in him, you have a place rather than giving more as the world might demand. You get to give up and you get to give over. The strength isn't on on you, it's on him. The failures aren't on you, it's on him as a church when we give our hearts to him on Sunday, having walked out in such worship, it is beautiful to the Lord. Hear from him. Allow him to build you up as you listen to the tune of your king. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters.